0: All right, well, the fun continues. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to meet me in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to be in verses 17 through 40. And then, uh, once you have found your place and you are able to, if you're able to, I would invite you to stand with me uh, as we read God's Word together. So, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as, those, as they who had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, church, I've got a question for you this morning and and feel free if you uh, want to raise your hand, you can do that. You don't have to, but I love the interaction anyways. And so here's my question for you. Have you ever thought at any point in your life, the question, is this good enough? So let me give some examples. Thank you, brother. Uh, so here's some examples. Okay. Uh, Maybe you're at work and you've been working on a project for a while and uh, you are nearing your deadline, right? And so you, at, at some point soon, you've got to give something to your boss or something to your manager or something to your client or whatever. You've got to show something that, that like, hey, I've been working on this for a while. And so you, you've got to turn it in. So maybe it's at work and you're at that point and you're like, okay, so is this good enough? Or maybe here's another example. Maybe when you were in school, you were working late nights to get a project or a paper done. Like, did you ever uh, think, as the clock was about to strike midnight, and you know that you know if you're like me in college, the online portal was about to shut down or whatever. Like the deadline's coming, you've got to turn it in. So you are working diligently on it, and you're like, "Well, I need a D. I'd like an A, but if I can get a D, like, is this good enough to get a D, right?" Or maybe, maybe you're making a meal for yourself, for your friends, for your family, and, and you're, you know, you've added the final touches and you might be thinking, okay, is this good enough? You do the little pinky taste test, you kind of, one of these things, you're like, "Mm, needs more salt, but almost there, right? So is this good enough? Or how about it's Christmas Eve and you are running out of time and you have run out of wrapping paper, but you have a few gifts left to wrap. And so you go to the closet and you look in the closet to see what you've got. And all you've got is birthday wrapping paper from your kid's birthday a few months back. And you're thinking, well, is this good enough? And so it's going to have to be right. And so you take it and you kind of Frankenstein that, that mug up and then it's ready to go. It's, it's like, okay, I guess this is, this is what it is. It's got to be good enough, right? Well, how about in your marriage, as you reflect on your marriage and your relationship with your spouse, the state of your relationship, have you ever thought, okay, is this good enough? Or when you consider your successes and failures as a parent, have you ever thought, <laughs> is this good enough? Like, is what we're trying to do with our kid, is this good enough? Or when you look at your bank account and you look at that pay stub and prices are going up, things are kind of scary, you might be thinking, okay, is this like, is this good enough? Like, is what I have to offer enough? Are my resources enough? Are the skills that I bring to the table, are they enough? Like, is it enough to work where I work? Or is it enough to live where I live? Is it enough to just be who I am? Like, has anybody else ever asked the question, am I good enough? Thanks, sis. Thanks, bro. Thanks, sis. Right, a few of us. The question, or I'm sorry, the context in which we ask these questions and the sources we look to for answers will have a heavy hand in determining the outcome of our searching. Will they not? And as a follower of Jesus, like, I don't know about you, but but has that question ever kind of found its way into your prayer life? Like kind of made its way into your relationship with the Lord? Like you're Like if you're like me, like I've had moments where I'm like, Lord, is this good enough for you? Lord, is, is what I have to offer enough for you? Lord, is, is what I do for a living enough? Like, should I be doing something totally different? Lord, am I enough? Like, am, am I enough for you? Is, is who I am today, right now, enough to be loved by you? Is it enough, is, is who I am right now enough to be used by you? Lord, is 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 this enough? Like this right here, all of this, is this good enough or do you desire, rather do you require someone or something else? Like, is it necessary for me to be something or someone other than who I am today to receive your grace, to experience your love, to be a part of your people and to participate in what you're doing? I can't help but wonder if the Corinthians were asking questions like this. So as we've mentioned throughout the series, the church in Corinth uh, was a dumpster fire, right? If you remember week one, Bobby talked about this. We've talked about it since then. I mean, they are a hot mess of a local church. And in many ways, they looked exactly like the culture that they were in. And in some cases, they looked even worse than the culture that they were in. And all of this was a consequence of forgetting who they are and whose they are. And because this isn't the first time that Paul has corresponded with the local church, we know that we're missing out on some of the discussion or the discourse that would have led to the instruction that Paul gives throughout the letter. It's like joining a conversation late and only hearing one side of the conversation. Or like I think about when I was a kid and I would walk in the kitchen and my mom was on the phone and it was the long cord, you know what I mean, long corded phone. The giant numbers, right? She's on that thing, and she's having a conversation. I, I don't know who she's talking to. I don't really know what she's talking about. I don't know what they were talking about. All I can, all I know is what I hear her saying. I don't even hear the other person responding. So I'm kind of piecing some stuff together based on what I hear from her in the moment. Now, on occasion, Paul addresses a specific occasion uh, or a specific. Uh, situation outright in this letter. And so we get a little context there. And and on other occasions, he restates the question that the Corinthians had asked prior to giving his answer. But in other places, it's just not as clear. And so we've got to use what we do know to piece some things together. But regardless, it's really important that we remember that Paul is writing to a specific church and a specific place, going through things that are specific to them, and they are living in a specific moment or point in human history. And so leading up to this point in the letter, Paul has addressed the factions in the church which have formed around some of the leadership. He addresses this by reminding them that you're not many churches, but you are one church in Corinth. You are one church in Christ. You've been united to one another as his people. And then he reminds them that that the spiritual leaders that that God's placed over them are called to be servants and stewards of Christ first and foremost. And then he uh, reminds them in chapter 5, he he begins dealing with some of the going-ons within the church, specifically after reminding them of what a, a servant of Christ or a leader of Christ should be in the church. So he gets into some of these specifics, and he he addresses things like sexual immorality, and, and you got a little bit of um, incest going on in the church. He deals with some conflict between believers in the church. He deals with confusion around the issue of marriage. And it's as if when you get to chapter 5, Paul begins to address uh, or to answer a question that's very broad, but the question is, now what? So it's like, okay, I- I'm a follower of Jesus, so now what? Or I've received forgiveness of sin, and I'm, I've received his grace, and so now what? And and we'll see this morning that Corinth as a city was as diverse as they came in terms of economic status, in terms of social status, religious practice, and ethnic background, which all plays into some of what Paul's going to talk about. So then you get to chapter six and and you see that there are some folks who are wrestling with the idea of Christian freedom in regards uh, to sexuality. And so some are saying, well, hey, all things are lawful for me. So they're kind of over here, one extreme. But then you get chapter seven, you got a whole nother extreme where some people are like, trying to figure out like the proper place of sex, even in marriage. And so some are like, well, is it even good for a man like to, to touch a woman? Like, should a man not have sexual relations with a woman? And so the point in saying all of this is that the people in this church that Paul's writing to, they have all been formed or deformed by the world and by their experiences. And the apostle Paul, as the father of this church, is is trying to walk alongside them as they're figuring this whole thing out and they're fumbling and they're failing, but he is there to help them figure it out. And so you get to verse 17 of chapter seven. And it's like, it's almost like you can sense an angst in the Corinthians. Like, like there's just so much that they're trying to figure out. And Paul is stepping in and addressing what it means to belong to Jesus. And so verse 17 of chapter seven, Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him this is my rule in all the churches. Now, a couple things to make note of in this verse. Paul's instruction here is not unique to the Corinthians. He says, this is his rule in every church. And so it's a general principle that he is is using to guide them through their individual experiences and situations. But also note the point that Paul makes. It's that the life that you are living, meaning who you are, where you are, what you do, and the circumstances with which you are has been sovereignly and providentially appointed to you or assigned to you by God. And the language that Paul uses here uh, is, is meant to like, like, what he's saying is meant to be applied on an individual level. And so what Paul is, is doing, if, if he were like standing here, he'd, he'd be pointing to you and saying, you and you and you and you and you as individual people, I want you to understand that who you are, where you are, what you do, the situation you're in, the, the going ons in your life, all of that has been sovereignly and providentially assigned to you by God. And his instruction is to remain there. Like remain as you are. In fact, in Acts 17... And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. And so, what is Paul's point in Acts 17? Well, he's saying, You are where you are because God put you there, and guess what? He's there too. Like he's, he's actually there and, and he has sovereignly and he's providentially put you there so that you might seek him out and find him because he's there. And like, this is true of believers and unbelievers alike that, that wherever you are, wherever we are, God placed us there and he's there too. Because he's everywhere. And so what does this mean? It means that where you work, where you live, where you play, all of that has been sovereignly and providentially appointed by God. And he's there because he's always there because he's everywhere. Or as one of the books that we read our daughter before bed says, here's a big truth that's important to know. God is all present. He's wherever you go. And so he, he puts you there and he is there. He, he puts you there so that you might come to know that he is there. Like he puts you there so that you might come to know him. Like he, he actually wants to know you. Like God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him, like really, really know him. In fact, Jesus, when he's praying the high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so what is the essence of salvation? It's to know God. Like salvation in Christ is, is far more than just being rescued from hell. Now listen, it's, it's not less than that, but it is, it is so much more than that. It is knowing the God whom you were made for. It's, it's getting to, to know the God who created the cosmos. It's getting to know the God who, who like pieced together your body. It's the God who knows the depths of your soul. It's the God who, while you were in your mother's womb, he was knitting you together bit by bit. It is being afforded the privilege and opportunity by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone to actually know God. And he has placed you where you are and he's given you all that you have And the situations and circumstances that you find yourself in, even today, so that you might know him. So you get to verses 18 through 24, and Paul's going to give two examples here, two scenarios that the Corinthians likely would be wrestling through, both of which were prevalent to the culture in which they lived. And so the first is circumcision. So this issue would have touched on both an individual's ethnic and religious background. Jewish men were circumcised, Gentile men were not Jewish men were circumcised as a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, signifying their uh, their place among the covenant community. community. Whereas Gentile uh, men despised circumcision. They saw it as a shameless act. And any Jewish man who was circumcised, the Gentiles would disregard him as a second-class citizen. But if the question is, now what? Or if the question is, is this good enough? Then the Jewish man might think, okay, do I need to have the mark of circumcision like removed or undone in order to, to like be acceptable to God? Or the Gentile man might think, do I need to now be circumcised so that I can be saved and counted among the covenant people of God? And Paul's answer is no. In fact, he says in verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And then the second example Paul gives is the issue of slavery. Like what if I'm a slave? What if I'm a servant? And so it's helpful to know that slaves or servants of some form or of an, some form or another made up between fifty and sixty-six percent of the Corinthian population. So you're looking at between half and two-thirds of the people in this city were a servant of some kind. Now, as a slave, they would have made little to no money, and some commentators suggest that slaves in Corinth weren't even acknowledged as people, at least not until they purchased their freedom, in which case they could move up the social ladder, but but even if they bought their freedom, they were still obligated or bound to the person they bought their freedom from. So it's like you would free yourself up, you'd move up the social ladder, but you you were obligated to, to stay in that house and continue to serve that family or that master. And so the question might be, okay, well, is it enough that I'm a slave? Is it enough that I I make nothing? I'm, I'm poorer than poor. Is it enough that I have no status or even dignity in my own culture? And Paul says in verse 21 through 23, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. And likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And so Paul says to the slave, if you can buy your freedom, you should do it. That's great. If you can climb the social ladder and get some more money, that's awesome. Great. Do it. But, but does it really matter? No, it doesn't. Well, why? Because, because you've already been bought. Like you, you've, you've been paid for. Like, like, you've already been purchased. Like there was a, there was a debt, like you owed a debt that money could not even move, but it's, this debt's been paid for. And and it's been paid for by the only acceptable payment by the blood of Jesus. And so he says to the slave, brother, he bought you. You've already been bought. And so, regardless of your status in society, He bought you. You belong to Him, and all who belong to Him are called to serve Him. All who belong to Him have been set free, set free from their bondage to sin, and all who belong to Him are called to submit to His Lordship. And so, In 17 through 24, Paul is making a point. He he actually states his point three different times. We've already looked at verse 17, but if you look at verse 20, he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then in verse 24, he says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul begins to move now into some different territory while still applying the same general principle. He begins to address married folk and engaged folk and single folk in the church again. Understand, Paul is addressing specific people in a specific place, dealing with specific issues and asking specific questions. And so, uh, I, I say that to say it's important that we don't build an entire theology of of marriage and engagement and singleness from this section. Like we need to, we need to take all of what scripture has to say into account when dealing with that. Now, this stuff's helpful, right? But, but we can't build an entire theology of those things from this one passage. And so you get to verse 26, and Paul says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And so here's that principle again, right? Remain as you are. In light of this present distress. So there's a lot of speculation about what this present distress might be. Some believe he's referring to the persecution of the church in Rome. And so the heat seems to be intensifying. And as history shows, it only gets hotter, especially as Nero becomes emperor because that dude was crazy. And then you've got some who believe that uh, that Paul might be referencing a famine that apparently hit Corinth around the time of Paul's writing. And so, like tangible resources like food would have been scarce. There would have been a, a, a scarcity of resources among the Corinthians. And others have suggested Paul is making an eschatological claim, meaning that he's alluding to the second coming of Christ. Now, I tend to be more partial to the third, but I'm not convinced that it couldn't be all three. And so the church then, like we as the church, we've been appointed by God to live in this space that's called the already and the not yet. And by, what, by that I mean that Christ's kingdom or the kingdom of God has already come when, when Christ uh, lived, right? His, his, the kingdom was inaugurated in the first coming of Jesus and the kingdom has not yet come, meaning it will be fully consummated when Christ returns. And so there's this space in between that the church has been appointed by God to live in. And, and in that space between, the church is guaranteed to undergo persecution and suffering and scarcity. And even still, as the people of God, we, we, we live in that space looking and longing for a brighter day. Now, regardless of what the present distress actually is, Paul says in light of that to married folk in verse 27, hey, if you're married, stay married. He says to unmarried folk, hey, don't worry about getting married. You're not married? That's okay. Don't worry about it. He says in verse 28, hey, you want to get married? Cool, go for it. It's not a sin for you to get married, but um, understand that those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. In verse 32, he says, I I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So Paul's point here is not to, to say, you know, marriage is, is bad and singleness is good or vice versa, but he's just, he's pointing to the unavoidable reality that a husband who loves his wife is going to be concerned about her. That his interests are divided and that a wife who loves her husband is going to be concerned about him. That her attention and her interests are divided and this is normal and it's good. In fact, it would not be good. It would be unhealthy if a husband never thought about his wife. Like if a husband never thought, how can I serve my wife? Or "Or how can I love my wife. How can I lead my wife? How can I please my wife? How can I provide for my wife? That would be bad. It'd be unhealthy. In fact, it's normal and it's good for a wife to think, how can I serve my husband? Like, how can I honor my husband? How can I help my husband? How How can I help him be all that God wants him to be? Like, how can I please my husband? It is good and right for a wife to think this way. But a man or a woman who's not married, they don't have this, this issue because they're not bound to anybody. And, and so they're free to be wholly devoted to the Lord in a way that a married couple is just, there's a limitation and that's okay. It's good and it's right and it's normal. So that's why in verse 35, Paul says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to restrict you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, that's what Paul's after. Your devotion. I want you to be devoted to the Lord. And then in verses 36 through 40, I'm just going to sum it up. He, he basically says, okay, if you're engaged and you can't control your sexual desires or, or they are strong and they're kind of overwhelming, hey, go ahead and get married. It's probably a sign that you need to get married. You don't have the gift of singleness and that's okay. But if you're engaged in, and you you can control your sexual desires and, and you, you sense in your heart that God's given you the gift of celibacy and singleness, well, be obedient to that. Don't get married. That's fine. That's good. To the widow, Paul says, if your if your spouse dies, you're free to remarry, but you don't need to. In fact, Paul would tell him, I I would encourage you not to. And so from start to finish, Paul is addressing a number of issues. And again, it's like it's like he's stepping into the angst of the Corinthians, as they might be wondering, is this enough? Or, or now what? And all along the way, Paul is saying, remain as you are, remain as you are, remain as you are, remain in the condition in which you were called. Now look at verses 29 through 31. I think this helps kind of bring it all together. Paul says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul makes two eschatological statements here, meaning two remarks about the end of all things. The first, the appointed time has grown short. And so there's not much time left. Christ is coming back and it's happening sooner than you think. And then he says the present form of this world is passing away. And so by that, it's the things and the experiences of this world, they are Temporary. There's an expiration date on all of this. And so he goes on to do this thing where he's like, if you're married, live as if you're not, or are you mourning? Live as if you're not. Are you rejoicing as if you're not? Are you buying something as if you're not? Or are you experiencing and enjoying the things of the world? Not in a bad way, but just like experiencing the things of the world. Well, live as if you are not. And and it's important to know that Paul is not rejecting any of these things or experiences like like if if we were to read Paul's words literally we might walk away with that assumption but doing that would would actually like cancel out a bunch of what Paul's already said in this letter but his point here is the time is short and the things and experiences of this life are temporary. Though though they are not inconsequential, they are temporary. And as believers, these concerns should never overshadow eternal realities. And so, live in light of eternity right live in light of that glorious day when Jesus will return and make all things new when his kingdom will will be fully consummated and we will be in his presence like live in light of that day live as a people who have their hope anchored not in this world but in eternity and so to kind of Like, take all of the loose ends and kind of bring them together. This is what I believe Paul is saying. He's saying, in light of eternity and in light of your present distress, devote yourself to Jesus. Like, devote yourself to loving him, to obeying him, to serving him. Like, I I want you to be sold out for Jesus as you are where you are, with what you have in your current situation. Well, Paul, what if I'm circumcised? Who cares, man? Well, what if I'm uncircumcised? That doesn't matter. Well, what if I'm, I'm a servant or I'm poor? Well, okay, so what? Don't be worried about it. Well, what if I'm married? Great. What if I'm unmarried? Even better. Well, yeah, what if, what, what if I'm engaged? Well, you know what? Then make a decision, okay? Get married or don't. Do what the Lord has for you. But who you are, where you are, with what you have, and what you do today, right now, obey him. Keep his commandments. Serve him because he bought you with his blood. He paid for you. You belong to him and and live as if the things and the experiences of this world are only temporary because they are, and one day they're going to pass away. And when they do, there he will be. He'll be right there. We will see him and we'll be with him. And so live in light of this reality that as you are where you are with what you have and in the circumstances you are in right now, live in light of eternity. Be all in, be sold out for Jesus. And so this week, as I was thinking, as I was was preparing for today, I was thinking about my wife. And I was thinking about every mom in this church. I was thinking about uh, every wife in this church who's just trying to do your best to love your family, to get stuff done, to keep everything afloat and to serve the Lord. And and as I was thinking about you, I I thought, you know, I want to say to you, moms, wives, sisters, I want to say, I'm sorry that Pinterest exists. I'm sorry that it exists. Like, can I just free somebody this morning? Okay. Um, If you're planning a party, like a kid's birthday party, you don't need 15 balloon arches and personalized cupcakes. You just don't need that stuff. Now, Pinterest is helpful in some ways, but, but it's hurtful in other ways, right? Like I, I wanted to say, man, I'm sorry that Instagram exists. Like I get on there for five minutes and I don't know about you, but when I get off Instagram, I close the app and I'm like, gosh, if I was taller, if I was only stronger, if I only had wider teeth, if I was only funnier, if I could only dance better, if I could sing better, if I could play an instrument, if I had hair again, if I had a bigger house, a bigger truck, if I made more money, there's all these things that I just suddenly, I felt fine and now I'm just a puddle of insecurity. I wish our high school and our middle school students didn't have to deal with TikTok or Snapchat telling them constantly that if they are not producing worthwhile content and accumulating likes and shares or interacting with someone 24-7 that there's something wrong with them. Like I, I wish we lived in a culture where like to my brothers in the room who are just trying to, trying to, you're just grinding, trying to make money for yourself, for your family, to provide. Like I wish we lived in a world where like there wasn't a constant pressure to be more and do more and produce more. I wish we didn't live in a culture that encouraged married folk to walk out on their spouse for dumb reasons. I wish we didn't live in a culture that makes staying sexually pure nearly impossible for single brothers and sisters in our church. I wish we didn't live in a culture that disregarded senior citizens in order to idolize youthfulness. I wish we didn't live in a culture that tells us that, that we need to be someone or something other than who we are to flourish. I mean, gosh, there is this constant pressure to be dissatisfied with who we are, what we have, and what we do. And so if you're like me and you ask the question from time to time, okay, is this good enough? Am I good enough? Well, if you look around, the answer you're going to get all the time is no, you're not. Be better, do more, produce something. But thanks be to God that he speaks a better word. And here's what it is. You don't need to be anyone or anything other than who and what you are today to know Him, to love Him, to obey Him, to keep His commands, to serve Him. Let me just show you a couple things before I wrap up. So this is Ephesians 2. Paul says, but but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Now this is Romans 5, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And in Romans 1 and 2, there's no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And so does God require you to be someone or something other than who you are today, right now, to experience his grace, to receive his love, to be counted among his people, and to participate in all that he is doing? No. In fact, the message of the gospel is the opposite. It's that he chose you to receive his grace and mercy and to experience his love, not on the basis of who and what you have to offer, as if in some way you were able to add to his grace. And and, and not on, on like the understanding or the knowledge of who you would one day become. Rather, it was the free gift of God in Christ Jesus to make you righteous as you are. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were enslaved to the desires of the flesh, but in Christ you were set free. And so if you're in Christ, it is his life, death, and resurrection which covers you and it frees you up. What does it free you up to do? To know him, to love him, to obey him, to abide in him. Like I was thinking this morning about John 15 where Jesus is just telling his disciples, like abide, 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 abide. Like he says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in my love and obey me as I abide in my Father and obey Him. Abide in me and bear much fruit. Abide in me and your joy will be full. Like you can experience my grace and receive my love and be counted among my people and participate in all that I am doing as you are, where you are, with what you have because of Christ. And so to the Corinthians, Paul says, as you are, obey Jesus where you are, with what you've got, and what you do. Serve Jesus. In any and all circumstances and situations, keep your eyes locked in on Jesus, because the time is short. And before too long, He'll be back, and we will see Him, and we will be with Him. And so, to you this morning, I say, brothers, husbands, fathers, as you are, obey Jesus. To my sisters, in the room to the wives to the working moms to the stay at home moms where you are with what you've got and whatever you do serve Jesus to the one who makes six figures working in your underwear at home and to the one who's out there grinding daily, to just provide for their family in any and all circumstances and situations. Keep your eyes locked on Jesus because church, the time is short and before too long, he will return and we will see him and we will be with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for that incredible, incredible reality that one day we will get to see you God, that we get to be with you, that the concerns of the day, the things of this world that just, that that kind of constantly pull our attention away, that all of that, all of that will be gone. And we get to look upon your face and look upon your glory and drink it in without the hindrance of sin without a drop of insecurity without that question yeah but what if like is this is this enough is it enough right now that that won't that won't be there and I thank you that it's it's in Christ that we have that confidence that even even in the the situations we're in that 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 as we are, where we are, with what we've got, with what's going on, that that, despite all of that, God, we, we have this confidence. We have this hope that there is an eternal reality, an eternal weight of glory, an inheritance held for us and we'll one day receive it. And so, God, I, I pray that, that uh, God, you would just help us to be a people who are faithful, Love you, who, who obey you, who serve you, who abide in you. Help us be a people as we are, where we are, with what we've got, to just to just be faithful. And it's your grace that saves, and it's your grace that enables and empowers us to do just that. And so we thank you for your grace. It's in Saint Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I was thinking, uh, when considering communion, I was thinking about God's words to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, where he writes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, it's important to remember who the Corinthians were. Um, they were worshiping in the temple of Athena and Apollo, they were offering sacrifices to their pagan gods, they were sleeping with temple prostitutes. I mean, they were all wrapped up in some, some I mean, every kind of sexual immorality, and yet God called them to himself he sanctified or set them apart as his own and it wasn't on the basis of who they would become but on the basis of God's sovereign grace and thinking about Paul, and just how, at the appointed time, there was a man named Paul who entered the city, and despite opposition, he stuck around because God said, "I've got people in this city who are mine, so you should stay." And if I were Paul, I'd be thinking, "Okay, yeah, but this place is a hot mess. So where are they? Can you point? Can you point me in their direction so we can, like, we can, like save them and get out, right?" And yet, pagans were made saints at the proper time the time appointed by God and as we know studying this book things got messy quick but God's God's grace to the Corinthians isn't contingent on who they would one day be like his call wasn't based on a future version of who they would become his call was based on his sovereign choice made before the foundations of the world that in Corinth there would be a people whom he would call to himself at just the right time to receive his grace to be justified in his son and to one day be glorified in his presence. So churches, we come to this table now may we be reminded that God's grace was given to you or I on account of who we would one day be but who we were at the moment God appointed. So we get to come to this table as the people we are today, and the situations that we are in today, as we are with what we've got, with what we're, we're bringing in. We get to come to this table today and experience God's grace yet again. It's the same grace that saved us before saves us today, and that enables us to know Him, to love Him, to abide in Him, and to serve Him. And so as the band plays, I would invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come up, grab the elements, and take them back to your chair, and we'll uh, we'll partake together. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 that as the people of God, every time we eat this bread, which mine doesn't want to come out of its little cup, got it. Every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are proclaiming together as Christ's church that he will one day return and that the things and the experiences of this world will pass away, but there he will be. We will see him on that day and we will be with him for eternity and it's all because of his grace and so church this is his body which is for you take and eat in remembrance of him this cup this this is his blood the blood of the covenant shed for you to set you free take and drink in remembrance of him Sing together. Church, I hope you have an amazing Sunday, and uh, if, if you have tomorrow off, as I hope you do, I hope you have an incredible Memorial Day, and, and just as you go. Uh, my my hope and my encouragement is that you would live in light of eternity. That you would live in light of the day when all things pass away, and Jesus is standing, and we get to see Him, and we get to be with Him, and know that that God's grace is sufficient for you as you are, where you are, with with what you have, and in the situations and circumstances that you're going to find yourself in, even as you leave this building in light of these beautiful realities to remain as you are to obey him to love him to abide in him and to serve him his grace which is sufficient to save us is, is sufficient to enable and empower you to do just that and so again i hope you have an incredible day incredible weekend and grace and peace you are loved and dismissed